Today's episode of the Dad Tired Podcast is brought to you by Samaritan Ministries. We all know how crazy life is, and uh, you might just be living life, doing your normal thing, and all of a sudden something massive happens. Maybe it's just something as simple as a broken bone, or maybe it's something really big. I just met a friend recently who, healthy family, healthy wife, and uh, they got a very unexpected cancer diagnosis. And maybe that's your story or somebody that you know, but any of these things could happen. A pregnancy, medical emergency, things just like could very quickly happen when it comes to healthcare. And that's where Samaritan Ministries comes in, connecting hundreds of thousands of Christians across the nation who care for one another spiritually and financially when a medical need arises. You get to choose your doctors, your treatments, and the hospitals that are right for you. Afterwards, your medical bills are sent to Samaritan Ministries. They notify members to pray for you and send money directly to you to help pay those bills. It's biblical, it's affordable, and you can join today, which is great. When the body of Christ comes together to pray, to encourage each other, and to provide for one another, that's when you see burdens lifted and God is glorified. This happens in all areas of life, including healthcare. If you're interested in learning more about Samaritan Ministries and their community, you can go to SamaritanMinistries.org forward slash dad tired. Again, that's SamaritanMinistries.org forward slash dad tired. Eric, I'm excited, man, to have you here today and to have this conversation. It's a, in some ways, a hard conversation to have, and it's definitely a rare conversation. There's so many guys who are have this topic on their hearts and as part of their lives, and yet very few guys feel like they have an outlet to process this stuff with other dudes, especially. It's pretty yeah. rare. So before we jump into that, maybe just tell us a little bit about yourself and like how this even came about for you as a book. Yeah, sure. Well, thanks for having me on, Jared, and being willing to tackle this subject. It's, like you said, rarely talked about, and I think it needs to be talked about. I think it's a really important important subject. So I hadn't really heard that much about miscarriage growing up. I think when I was in high school in the early 90s, the first time I'd, I'd even heard about the the idea of, you know, the concept of miscarriage, what it was, something that happened to somebody. I think then I didn't really hear anything about miscarriage until I was in seminary and uh, Russell Moore was one of my professors Mm -hmm. and he shared pretty openly in our Christian doctrine class about he and Maria's three miscarriages and how Mm -hmm. it impacted him and affected him. And they're going through the process of adopting their their, uh, first two sons at that point. And so I really appreciated that he shared about that. And it's the first time I'd ever heard about how it impacted anybody. And, you know, through those seminary years, my wife and I, we were friends with people. We were all of the age where people are starting to have families. And so, you know, some friends of ours, couples in the church were miscarrying and we heard about it, but I never really talked with anyone about it, how it impacted them, what they were feeling going through. And so, Jenny and I had three live births, and mm-hmm. our first three pregnancies went off without any complications, didn't mm-hmm. have a trouble getting pregnant. And then we had a very early miscarriage after our third child was born. And it was so early, we, if Jenny hadn't taken a pregnancy test, we probably thought it would have been a late period or hardly knew we were pregnant before it happened. And some other uh, relatives had experienced a, a, a hard pregnancy loss. And we chose really not to say anything about it. And then we ended up having our fourth child, our daughter. Then after her, we had two miscarriages that were further along in the pregnancy. And one required a a DNC procedure to remove the baby and the the rest of the pregnancy biological products from the womb. And, And then after that, we had another one that was further along that Jenny could be induced in labor and deliver because it wasn't passing 
nat- the baby wasn't passing naturally. And so we were in the hospital for a couple of days with that. And so that was uh, miscarriages two and three. And then we had our fifth child, our youngest son. And then after him, a few years later, we weren't planning on having any more children. And we had a surprise pregnancy and then very quickly uh, learned that Jenny was miscarrying. And so yeah. we've had these four miscarriages. You know, I talked with a few other guys who had them walk through miscarriages with their wives. And I don't know that I did a great job of processing it then. I don't know that I knew how to deal with it, what to say about it. Miscarriage isn't something that's talked about a lot. I think we've come a long ways in the last decade or two in terms of being able to talk about it and grieve miscarriage publicly. Mm -hmm. But a lot of the focus is still primarily on mothers. And there's obvious reasons for that. They, you know, they're dealing with this in in physical ways that the fathers aren't. And so uh, I never wanted to detract from that. But there hasn't been much attention paid to how fathers deal with this. And, and that's a shame because I think when the father is grieving well, he's actually going to help be of more help to the mother in her mm-hmm. grieving process. And so kind of to come to how this book came about, a few years ago, Emily Jensen, a friend of mine from Risen Motherhood, mm-hmm. asked me if I'd write an article for their website to help moms understand what dads are going through in mm-hmm. miscarriage. And so I think because of that, when Abby Wedgworth was writing her book, Held, a few years ago, she asked me to contribute a, a little testimony on what it's like to walk through this as a father. Uh, her book's aimed at helping women deal with miscarriage. And I received my contributor a copy, and it, it was really, I'd have to say, one of the, I think it's the best miscarriage resource. that It's, it's kind of my go-to now for mm. women in our church you know, who are miscarrying. And they, that, good that book, book's just so we don't miss it. That book's called Held. Held. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Held by Abby Wedgworth. And yeah. so the Good Book Company, you know, they sent me my contributor copy and it was just, they just did such a remarkable job of, of producing this book so well. It's a, you know, it's a hardcover book, a simple, attractive cover, you know, elastic band that goes around it to hold it in. And each little 31 devotions, each one has space for journaling and prayer prompts and that sort of thing. So it's sort of a, um, it's just a beautiful resource that I felt like really honors the subject and honors the people who are suffering. And so <laughs> it might be a little bold, I guess, but I just wrote to, to the publisher and said, you really need to produce one of these for men. Mm-hmm. I don't know of anything like it for men. I don't know of any Christian resource for mm-hmm. men. You know, even when there's a miscarriage book for couples, so often where dads are addressed, it's here's how you can care for your wife. Yeah. Uh, and so not really, here's how you can care for your own heart. Yeah. And here's how you can process it. And to their credit, the Good Book Company, man, they were they loved it from the start. And mm. they said, you know, no one else has done anything like this, but we want to take a chance on it. We don't know if anyone will buy it, but we think mm. it's worth. And so I'm just really proud of them. And they did a, a wonderful job of, producing um, what became the book Ours, Biblical Comfort for Men Grieving Miscarriage. So Mm -hmm. that's sort of how this came about. Yeah, man. Well, I appreciate the backstory. And I'll I'll just, on a practical note for our listeners, I don't write for the book Good Book Company, but I am friends with the team over there. And I just really, really like them as a publisher. And I really like the books that they put out. So just for you who are guys who are listening just go to their website, man. This is like a, you know, I didn't mean to put a plug in here. I just really like them just as like a, as a reader and as trying to get resources as a dad and husband, I just really trust them. 
And I trust that they put out some really, really good stuff. So go to their website and browse and see what you can grab over there. So much of what they're putting out is just really, really, really helpful. But man, so I'm hearing your story. My heart's just heavy for you and hearing the loss that you guys have experienced as a family on multiple occasions. I'm also thinking about the dude who's listening to this podcast right now who is new to the faith or exploring faith, Mm. and he's trying to reconcile, okay, I'm like... I'm interested in this God that you guys are talking about, but it's hard for me to think about like, why would God do that? Like, why would God create life just to take it away? Now your family's experiencing that pain. How do you fit that into a theological box? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think it's a a big question. And it's one of those questions that I don't know that we always get an easy answer to. Why does he do this? That's one of the questions I ask. So kind of how the book is set up might be a a good to help that man. I surveyed dads who have gone through miscarriages and asked them what questions they encountered and wrestled with and struggled with. Mm. And then I split the gospel of Luke up into 31 sections, because if I'm going to get a guy to read a book, I want him to come face to face with Jesus Mm -hmm. and his story is redemptive. My story is, you know, provides solidarity, but it doesn't come with the power of, of redemption. Mm. And so one of the questions that we ask is like, what is he doing? What is this God doing in the midst of miscarriage? And one of the things I love about Luke is his first two chapters, we get to see so much about the infancy and the childhood of Jesus. Mm-hmm. I love that Luke starts with Zechariah and Elizabeth, a barren couple. Mm-hmm. And barrenness would have included most likely several miscarriages Mm. for Elizabeth, as far as they were aware of them in that day. And it also says that they were righteous according to the law. Mm. And so I just love that Luke puts those two together as a way of sort of saying to us, this inability to have a live birth was not due to any sin on their part in particular. It wasn't that God was displeased with them. Mm. And then we have the announcement to Mary that she's going to conceive and bear a child. Elizabeth has conceived, and that beautiful scene where they greet each other and John leaps in the womb out of joy of you know being the presence of his Lord. And there's just a reminder there that God is aware of and concerned about what's going on in the womb, mm. even when it's secret and nobody else in the world might see it. What's happening in the womb is very important to him. Mm. And we see that all the way through the storyline of the Bible as we're waiting for the Messiah. There's barren woman after barren woman who will end up conceiving and giving birth to a child. But God is, all of these women, is particularly in a Jewish society where they're waiting for the promise to be fulfilled that the seed of the woman, you know, this child born to a woman is going to crush the serpent's head to not be able to bear children in hopes of participating in the fulfillment of that promise would have been shameful. Mm. It had been, it had been extremely painful. You'd have been looked upon as suspects. What'd you do to displease God? Mm. And these are the, the women that God favors with his grace. And, you know, he hears the cry of the poor and he cares about the suffering. And so that right there just tells us, we don't always know what God's doing, but we know that he's doing something good. Mm. And we know that he loves these people who are walking through this very difficult suffering. 
And then we get to this, you know, the only story we have in the New Testament of Jesus' childhood is, uh, is that time where, you know, they've been in Jerusalem for the festival, and they're heading back home in their caravan, Joseph and Mary probably traveling separate with the men and the women, you know, and I think any of the guys, any of the dads on here can identify with the situation where I thought you were watching him. I thought you were watching him. <laughs> yeah. And so it's like a few days into the journey and they can't find Jesus. And, you know, he's <laughs> yeah. 12 years old and they look for like a whole day in the caravan or something like that. And they finally travel a day or so back to Jerusalem. So it's been a few days. They've lost their son. You know, you can imagine how terrified they would totally. have been, you know, like, how did we lose the Messiah? You know, like, <laughs> yeah. and so they search the city for, I think, a day and they end up finding him in the temple and he's answering questions, you know, with the teachers and so forth. And, and the question they ask him is, is basically, why would you do this? Like, what are you doing? What were you yeah. doing? Yeah. It's which is the question we have for Jesus in the midst of miscarriage. And he says, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? I had to be about my father's business. Mm. And even so, even from the age of 12, Jesus is consciously saying, I am fully devoted to accomplishing my father's will. And we know that his father's will is to not lose any of those the father's given to him, but to raise them up on the last day. As a guy who is investigating Jesus and saying, yeah, I don't know about this God that lets life be created in the womb and then it dies. That's part and parcel of the whole problem of evil, of why does yeah. evil exist in this world? Right. And why does he create life to let it die at 85 years old? That's the whole problem with sin, and this is the consequence of sin. But I would challenge them, you know, as you read through the gospel, look at who this Jesus is. He is a man, like Isaiah says, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Uh, he really, really knows what it's like to suffer. He himself suffers severely, you know, to the point of crying out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's asking God questions <laughs> at the hour of his own death. And also throughout his life, and the reason he goes to the cross is because he loves both sinners and sufferers. Mm. And he is entirely devoted to doing the Father's will of bearing the curse in his own body when he dies and then, you know, in the place of us as sinners, and then rising from the dead to conquer sin and death and the power of the devil, so that as we hope in him, we have the promise not only that our sins are forgiven, but that our suffering will come to an end in the mm. resurrection of our own to live with him in glory. And so that's the ultimate answer, I think, to the question. And I think it's the answer to the ultimate hope of fathers facing miscarriage. We have no promise that we'll be able to have future children. That's never the comfort we have. Oh, don't worry. You'll probably have be able to have other kids. We No one can promise that. Right. Uh, we can't even promise that our own kids will live to a, an old age. We might, we might have the pain of burying our own children, you know, burying our own children. But our hope is that Jesus is fully devoted to our salvation and nothing can take us away from that. It will end in glory in a place where every tear is wiped away from our eyes and suffering and sadness are no more. Man, thank you for zooming us out because it's, I think there's just the, for anything that we're, we're struggling through and we're like in the thick of it and it's just right in front of our face, it feels overwhelming and you ask different questions in the midst of the suffering when it's right in front of your face. But when you zoom out, you see, or I guess you just have a, a more kingdom and eternal perspective. Yeah, that we do know how the story ends for humanity. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, and that gives us hope, and that 
this suffering feels overwhelming, unbearable, and yet God does make the promise, I will make things new again. I'm, I'm not leaving you in the mess, but we have to zoom out to see that. So I appreciate you helping us do that. You mentioned right at the end there, like just some bad advice, what people say, you know, don't <laughs> worry, you'll have some, you'll, you'll probably have kids. Yeah. Again. Or what other, like, I guess like what's bad advice and what's good advice you sure. know, for, for somebody who's uh, trying yeah. to walk through somebody who's dealing with this and who has felt the pain of miscarriage. What's bad advice? What's good advice? Yeah. Bad advice would be saying things like, oh, don't worry, you'll be able to have more children. Or, you know, there's probably something wrong with the child. So, you know, it's better that Jeez. there was a miscarriage. Yeah. I mean, which totally just dishonors yeah. anyone that has a genetic totally. defect or yeah. disability or something like that. And even then, it's, I mean, when would you say that of any other death? Right. So th those sorts of things to try to make a scripture says the last enemy to be overcome is death. Death is an enemy. And to try to ever turn death into a good thing is not right. These parents have, have lost a baby. Don't try to make the curse into a blessing mm. because it's not. And, and it's powerful. That's and, really well said. Yeah. Don't make any promises that you can't guarantee. There's so few things that are guarantees in this life. Death and taxes is about it. So, you know, those sorts of things, I think we say those things because we want to relieve our own discomfort in the situation. Mm. Don't ever talk just to um, make yourself more comfortable in a hard place. Silence is better. Even saying, man, I don't know what to say. I just can't imagine what it's like to be there. Yeah. And even saying, oh, we had our own miscarriages. We know what it's like. You know, every miscarriage is unique. It has its own situation. Every couple processes differently. Every yeah. husband and wife processes differently. And so let them suffer in their own way. Don't try to pressure them into any kind of timeline. I think good advice is, so particularly thinking about dads, is don't say anything stupid, <laughs> but don't say nothing. Don't act like it didn't happen yeah. uh, because it happens. He knows it happens. Yeah. And I dealt with shame over it. Like, am I allowed to grieve this? It's primarily viewed as a, a mother's loss, mm -hmm. but where else do we view any aspect of parenting as solely the mother's? Right. We wouldn't want a dad to say, well, I'm not really going to participate in parenting because I don't want to detract from her parenting. Like, mm. we shouldn't think, I don't really want to talk about how this is bothering me and hurting me because it'll detract from her suffering since she carried the pregnancy. Like, actually pretending like you're not suffering as a dad isolates the mother and makes her bear the suffering mm. alone. Wow. And I hear from so many moms when I visit miscarrying couples that will say, I don't know how my husband's doing. I feel like I'm walking through this alone because he won't share anything. He doesn't share with me how he's feeling. He doesn't share mm -hmm. with me how he's doing. Yep. And part of that is that I think moms and dads will grieve at different paces. So often what happens is they learn about the miscarriage and he hops into like get her done mode. Something needs to happen with the kids. I need to get her to the doctor. I need to pick up prescriptions. I need to make meals. I need to, you know, I need to make sure she's comfortable. He's doing all that because he loves her and he's caring for her. And she's suffering in physical ways that he's not. And so 
he has the capacity to do these things. She needs to rest. She might be in pain. You know, there's all this. That's a good way to help. And it's a good thing. But sometimes what those things that you as a dad that we want to work on are things that anybody else could do, really. That's what the church is there for, our, our circle of friends. They can arrange childcare and bring meals and run errands. But really only you can suffer with her in this unique way of being a parent involved in this miscarriage. So sometimes what she needs you to do is sit in bed with her and just be quiet or share your heart. And sometimes because I think because of the nature of her carrying the baby and the hormones that go with being pregnant and with miscarrying, like her emotions will be heightened and will be, I think, more about the miscarriage and the dad's focusing on her. I need to care for her right now. The emotions, the miscarriage often won't hit him maybe for a week, you know, or several days later or two weeks when things have settled. And now he's really processing that what I was dreaming about playing football in the backyard and, you know, showing off my new daughter or, you know, whatever it is, these aren't going to happen now. Like that's finally hitting him because the immediate emergency is done. And then is it too late? Is it, and what could be complicated about that is, you know, a few weeks afterwards, maybe the mom's up and she's ready to go and she's reading things and suddenly, boom, it's hitting him mm. and they're grieving at different paces and that's okay. But I would just encourage as a friend, help this dad to make sure he's tending to his own heart and that he's tending to his wife's heart by actually being with her, not just doing stuff for her. Yeah, I imagine that would be. Sorry, no, I didn't mean to interrupt you there. I just would, I, I was just thinking through. Man, that would be really hard as a couple. You're dealing with the pain of the miscarriage on its own, and now you're also you've now added a new layer, which is how do we stay connected as yeah. a couple? Yeah, in our pain, because I, I think what you described is likely a scenario. I, I've met so many guys who are just like they go into fix it mode, mode, yep. and their wife is just in, in grieving mode for whatever the thing is. They're feeling the pain of that. And guys, like you you said, you know, just to sit in the bed and just be with her, that see, feels so simple. And yet I know so many guys are like, I don't do that. That feels so foreign to me Yeah, to yeah. just sit in a bed and like, what does it look like to just be with her? That's hard for a lot of guys. Yeah. And I think guys should feel full for permission to ask the mother like, hey, I want to be here with you. I'm sad and you're yeah. sad. And what would be helpful for mm -hmm. me right now? Mm -hmm. And she might just say, hold me. Mm -hmm. And that's what she needs right then. Mm -hmm. She might say, I want to watch a movie and get a pizza with you and just hang here or read a book to me or play music or, or just be here. Like, I don't even care if you bring your laptop in and work, do work stuff, but mm -hmm. just be next to me. Like, give her permission. And, and I think a dad should have permission to also be able to say, I don't really know what I'm feeling right now. And that's not because this pregnancy wasn't important to me. And it's not because the baby doesn't matter to me. I'm mostly concerned about you right now. And I really haven't had much time to think about it. But I want you to know it's not because I don't care. That helps her know kind of uh, maybe what's going on with him. And, and you know, another thing that I would say in terms of good advice is don't move on too quickly from this. We don't do mourning well in America. 
you know, there's cultures where you mourn for 30 days or whatever, you know, and, yeah. or your funeral could last two weeks or whatever. And in America, we're like, someone dies and two to three days later, we have a funeral and, you know, there's a one hour service and we put them in the ground and come back to the church and eat little sandwiches, you know, with each other. And then we move on. And that's for someone who's lived 80 years yeah. and the spouse is kind of left like, alone like it's been so quick and especially with a miscarriage where depending on whether they've shared with anyone and there's a lot to think through about that too when and how to share but or you've only shared with a small group people around you haven't seen they aren't acquainted as acquainted with the pregnancy as you have been this is a daily reality for you and your wife whereas they may have just heard about the pregnancy as soon as they heard about the miscarriage or and we tend to think of miscarriage as an event that happens on this day or this week and you grieve it and then, then you move on. And then maybe sometimes you have other children, but the loss of any person in our life is a is sort of what I call a manifold loss. It has a lot of facets to it mm. and it unfolds over time. If you've lost a, a spouse or a child or a grandparent like there's the first christmas without them and there's mm -hmm. the first you know whatever and with a pregnancy that due date is still coming mm -hmm. and uh, i can guarantee you the mom is going to know when that due date's going to hit and i would mm -hmm. recommend every father mark it on his calendar and every friend like mark that due date on the calendar and mark on your calendar when the miscarriage happened mm -hmm. because there's going to be the anniversary of that miscarriage and there's going to come the day when and I think this can be even more acute when there aren't more children that follow, but there's going to come the day when this is when our child would have had their first day of school. Mm. You know, all our friends with children this age, they're, they're posting the first day of school pics and our child would have been graduating high school. And so even though like as a friend, you see the pictures of kids on the walls, the mom is going to see what's in between those pictures mm. that's missing. We've got five kids in our home right now, ranging from 20 to 10. We're very busy and all that. But every time we go back through the city where we were able to bury one of the children that miscarried, you know, there's always tears there for my wife when we stand at the graveside. And we remember that anniversary, particularly because we were able to labor and deliver, I think, every year. It's a sad time. It's It's not as painful as it was in the moment it's a complicated grief because you know if if that child wouldn't would have been born then the the living child that followed wouldn't wouldn't be here in our family and you get this whole range of weird emotions that i think it's just good to acknowledge and put before the lord and talk through with friends that's that's how the lord has designed us to heal man i'm getting choked up when you describe like the child in between the pictures you know the life in between the pictures that's just uh that's a hard, uh, it's so hard, man. Life is messy and hard, and our, our hope and need for Jesus is so great. In this conversation, a lot, we're talking about miscarriage, but a lot of this too is like, I, there's kind of some crossover between like infertility and people struggling with that and some of the advice people give. You're a pastor, and so you like, you're shepherding people in all kinds of seasons. And sometimes, man, in my experience, Christians in, with good intentions they're trying to comfort, but they just say things that are just like, that's more painful than it is helpful. Yeah. And so one of the things like, and I was thinking about this for infertility, but also in miscarriage, and it could 
go into a, a range of different life circumstances. But one of the hard things that I think is tough for us as Christians is to think through how do we give godly words of encouragement, mm. but also, I don't know how else to say it, but like stick with reality. <laughs> you know, like yeah. there's like, so an example would be like, I'm praying for a miracle. Mm-hmm. So let's just say for infertility, like, I believe God, you know, a church member comes up to another church member and they're trying to encourage and be kind. I believe God can do this, give you a baby or he'll get bring or you yeah. get some circles like bring the baby back or something. And yeah. it's like, you know, I want to believe that too. And I believe in God's miraculous power, but also that's like not helpful. That's like, yeah. it causes more pain. So like as a Christian community, yeah. I, and I, know, I know I'm kind of fumbling through my sub question here, but like, where do we balance between like, we believe in the God of miracles, God can do crazy things, mm-hmm. but also like, this is the reality and this was painful and, or this is painful. Yeah. Does that question make sense to you? Oh, it makes uh, great sense. Yeah. What uh, do you, how do you shepherd people in that? You know? Oh, I think we realize that there are situations where, again, wisdom is found in being quick to listen and slow to speak. Yeah. And so I think just saying, oh, I'm sorry. You know, it's huge. Said, don't even know what to say right now. And there might be circles, but I think for most of us, we wouldn't show up at funerals and say to the grieving spouse or the grieving parent, Hey, I'm praying that God raises your husband from the dead. Like, I'm just praying in the middle of the service, we're going to, the casket's going to start moving. Like, that would not be good. Could God do it? Yeah, he can do anything. The person's looking for a house. I don't say, well, I'm just praying that you buy a plot of land and the house miraculously appears. Like there's means that God works through in the normal places in our world. Yeah. And good way of saying that. I don't see a command, you know, in the Bible or even an expectation that our norm is to pray for those sorts of things. I mean, Mm. we are called to pray for healing. You know, if anyone's sick, let them go to the elders and We'll anoint him and pray for him. And and we do that. You know, we pray for cancer victims to be healed. And we, you know, we pray for those things. But if a kid falls in our parking lot at church and breaks his leg, we don't just pray that it be miraculously set and healed right there. We call the ambulance because that's how the world works and that's how God's designed it to work. And I think when we say things like, I'm just praying for a miracle, that God will give you a a miracle baby, I think what's the good intent behind that is we're acknowledging, hey, babies are a good gift, and you're suffering because you haven't received this good gift, and or you've lost this good gift. But I fear that making our ultimate prayer request a miraculous event that we are sort of reinforcing this idea that the ultimate hope is a baby Mm. and not Jesus. Mm. Because we're saying like, yeah, we're with you that really life can't be full and meaningful until you have this child, which is not true. Mm. You know, Paul's preference for Christians is they be not married, which implies that they not have children because they can devote themselves entirely to the ministry, the work of the Lord. That is a remarkable statement. And I think we as a church have really sidelined singles, 
couples without children. And we've sort of overemphasized and highlighted the family as the center of God's purposes on earth. And we expect people to get married and to have children. And we even talk to our kids like that. Like, well, one day when you get married, which Mm. why should that be our expectation for our kids if you get married? Because there's not a guarantee they will. And if they don't, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with them. Mm. There's nothing wrong with a couple being childless. And that's not to diminish at all the pain of a couple that wants to have children or a single person who wants to get married and they're not receiving what their heart desires. Like that is painful and that's legit pain. But let's not add to that pain Mm. by speaking in ways and creating a culture which put pressure on people. Like you really can't advance to the next level of Christian disciple Mm. until you're married and then until you have kids. Like you can't really be a central part of our church community because what we're really about is a family of a mom and a dad and kids. Mm. Because God's plan for redemption in the world is his family, the Mm. household of God, which is the church itself. And if you're in the church through faith in Christ, then you have brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers and are a father or a mother to people. And that's not a consolation prize. Like that's the main plan for the Great Commission. That's a really hard word. And you said it so gently. You gave Mm. a lot of truth and love in that answer. And I really appreciate that, man. That Mm. was really, really well said. I think I want to go back to for a minute because I think a lot of guys are going to, one of the things that they'll take away from this conversation is, okay, I want to not just be in full fix it mode, get her done mode, as you said. Like, I, I really want to. The guys who are listening to this podcast are, they're trying really hard to lead their family well and to be yeah. the best husbands and fathers they can be. And so they want to, I know the guys are like, I, I want to grow in this area. I want to be fully present with my wife and love her well. I've met a lot of guys who I think would probably relate to the fact, or that situation where they're, you know, they, maybe they experience a miscarriage or it could be a variety of other life circumstances, but their wife is feeling grief and they're feeling sadness. Mm-hmm. They're really sad mm-hmm. and they feel really angry. Mm-hmm. And it can feel like those two things aren't compatible. Like, I'm just pissed. Yeah. Why did this happen again? Right. Yeah. Whether it's a, it's another pregnancy test where we didn't get pregnant, we're dealing with infertility again, I'm pissed or yeah. We lost a baby. Like, I'm pit. Why would God do this? Or why were, I'm pissed because I now I'm out of control and I can't help my wife. And this is a situation where it's like, yeah, I'm just really angry. Like, I guess my question in all of that is, what do you say to the guy who's just mad, just yeah. really, really frustrated? It's hard for him to just sit and be sad with his wife when he feels really mad. Yeah. That is, wow, that's a great question. It's a big topic. And dealing with a person who's angry particularly in the midst of grief, is a really tender place to be because addressing that anger in the wrong way can feel like you're diminishing their loss. Mm -hmm. Usually when I approach anger, what's underneath anger a lot of times is a sense of injustice, Mm. that a wrong has been done, that someone's deprived of what is rightfully theirs. And of course, in that situation, what's going on, I think, in the heart is we, God owes us a child. We deserve a child. There's no reason we shouldn't have a child. And so God is 
the one who is wrong in the situation and we are in the right. And how you address that could go really wrong really fast. Mm. I mean, what we don't want to say to a guy is, well, for your sin, you deserve the wrath of God in hell. That's what you deserve, you know? And so you should just be thankful that you're, you know, alive or whatever. You're being really ungrateful. I don't think we want to go in like a wrecking ball. I think a good way to approach these things is by asking a lot of questions and listening. And often I find that people have a lot of the answers in their own heart. They just don't want to accept them. Mm. So by asking questions, I think when we get ourselves talking, the mouth speaks the overflow of the heart. And asking a question like, well, I see that you're angry and you sound really angry. And I know you're in a lot of pain. Like, who are you angry with? Mm. Is that a question that, like, I'm thinking through a guy who's mad right now, personally. What could they ask themselves that might reveal what's going on in their heart? Yeah. They're blind, but yeah, go ahead. I think they could ask the question, like, who am I angry at? Yeah. Yeah. And is that I'm angry at church because everybody there has babies and that's all we ever hear about and talk about is babies and kids and Mm. they don't care. Sometimes, sometimes the anger is legit. We lost a child and nobody cares. (laughs) You might be in a church where no one is responding and that anger is righteous. Mm. Like you shouldn't be denied comfort and presence and Mm. all those things. Mm. So I think asking the question like, who am I angry at? And if the answer is, I don't know, that might be the place you want to spend some time meditating. Mm. And then when you identify who you're angry at, I think the next question is, is why am I angry at them? Mm. And that's a huge question to unpack. And then I think what follows that is like, am I right to be angry at them? Mm. You know, the story of Job is big there where he's demanding answers from God And God's really, really patient with him. Mm -hmm. And in the end, sort of sits him down and says, okay, it's time for us to have a big boy conversation. Mm -hmm. Like One of my favorite verses in the Bible, (laughs) brace yourself like a man, because I have some questions (laughs) for you. Yeah, Yeah, that's never a comfortable place to be in. (laughs) But I would encourage a guy, I don't find a lot of guys that are big into journaling, but I think writing out your answers to those questions can be really helpful. Mm. Uh, There's a book by Jennifer Kihai Co. I think I got her last name right, but it's called A Lamenter's Pathway to Joy. Hmm. I think it's the best book on lament I've ever read. And wow. she goes through the Psalms talking about what lament is and how to do it. And then each and then each chapter comes with exercises on how to lament, like how to write a lament, a lamenter's pathway to joy. And What I love about the Psalms and those laments that Jennifer deals with is like, if you go read those laments in the Psalms as a dad who's angry, your heart's going to resonate with some of those Psalms. Mm. Like there's a lot of emotion coming out of hearts in those Psalms. There's a lot of questioning God, Mm. like why and how long, and this isn't fair. Like why do the unrighteous prosper and your people are suffering. And the fact that those are Psalms, God, the Holy Spirit inspired 
mm. someone to write those down so that they could be included in the Bible. And his purpose was for his people to sing and speak them to him. Wow. He wants us to say those things to him. Wow. And so grab yourself a notebook or just go for a drive in your pickup or go for a hike, like someplace out where no one's around and say it out loud. Like you're not going to hurt God's feelings. He already knows it anyway. You're not hiding it from him. Right. Go ahead and say these things to him, have it out with him and be ready. His response might be like that to Joe. But I think often those times, just like one of those Psalms of Lament ends with, darkness is my only friend. Mm. That's just how it ends. Most of the time, those Psalms come back to a, yet I will hope in you. And I think sometimes after we've exhausted our anger and our questions and our demands, and it just all gets out of us as we express our lament to God, we are empty at the end of it. And we come to a place where we're just like broken. There's nothing left. And we're just like, God, help me. There's nothing left to do but to plead for his mercy Mm -hmm. and his grace. And, you know, being that vulnerable with God is such a good thing because the scripture says that God is opposed to the proud and Mm -hmm. he gives grace to the humble. Mm -hmm. Humble yourself before him and put yourself in those kind of vulnerable on your face situations. Mm -hmm. And don't be afraid to echo our Savior and my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Like that's a mm. question the sinless Jesus asked. Mm. It's not wrong to ask it. Man, would your book be like if you knew somebody that experienced miscarriage, would your book be, would it be offensive to gift it that book no. to somebody or would it be like, man, thank you. This is like, uh, really I don't helpful. think so. I mean, there's offensive ways in which you could do it. Like, <laughs> yeah. You're a total mess, and I don't want to deal with you here to read this. <laughs> but it's that's what it's meant for, is to be able to... And the Good Book Company has some good deals on Held and Ours together for couples. Oh, okay, cool. know? And I think it's what we have to give to couples as when they miscarry in our church. Like, okay. we're going to show up with these books. And I think even just to say, hey, this was written by a guy who experienced four miscarriages, and the table of contents is 31 questions. And so... Even just to say, like, I don't know what this is like, and I don't know what to do, but I've heard that this is a good resource. And one thing I recommend is, and I mean, I know this sounds sort of self-promoting, but I wrote this book to help people, is mm-hmm. I would encourage churches to grab some copies of both Held and Ours and have them on hand so you don't have to order it and then show up later. Like, you can you can have it right away. Yeah, it's a great and, idea. And I'd also encourage people who, you know, are old enough, they're not going to go through any pregnancies, or they haven't had a miscarriage, or they're not even married. Like Paul Tripp, who wrote the foreword, you know, he said, this is really just a primer on grief. This will help anybody who's grieving. But I think it's helpful to read through as someone who's never walked through a miscarriage, because I'm going to share some of my stories, and you're going to encounter the questions that your friends will ask, and you will be able to be a little bit more prepared to help people suffering with miscarriage, and I think helps people suffering with a lot of different kinds of loss. And yeah. so I think it's better to be prepared in advance than to be playing from behind. Totally. Well, the book, again, is called Ours, Biblical Comfort for Men Grieving in Miscarriages. I highly recommend you guys go grab a copy of that. And then, you know, like Eric said, just have a few copies on hand just to uh, 
when your friends inevitably go through some kind of grief, when you inevitably go through some type of grief, you just have it. And then the other one that we talked about was called held, but both of those together would be probably good to to have on hand. Eric, man, this has been, I've really, really enjoyed this conversation. Again, it's been, it's a hard topic to talk about. It's rare to talk about, but even in the midst of all of the mess of miscarriage and pain and loss and death, we still get the hope of the gospel. And I think you really pointed us to that. So thank you, man. This has been mm. really a life-giving conversation for me. So thank you. Mm. Well, thanks, Jared, for having me on. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, man. Hey guys, as always, I hope that episode was helpful for you on your journey of becoming more like Jesus and helping your family do the same. If you want to get connected with more like-minded guys near you, jump over to dadtire.com forward slash community to join our private group. I love you guys. I'll see you next week.